1: My name is Hike Bally and I am a writer and a podcaster. Mark Dreyer is on the other end of the line. He is the China Sports Insider. And this is the China Sports Insider Podcast. And we have a tremendous, tremendous show for you this week. Tencent Sports... Is it a casualty of China's tech downturn? One CSL team says it will not be in the league next year. And the Forbes rich list is out, and guess who's not on it? And then we talk Ultimate Disc in China with Anthony Tao and Zoe Tang. The sport has become really popular because, well, influencers found it. Uh, And we're going to talk to uh, Zoe and Anthony a little bit later on the show, but first, Mark, it was a huge podcast week for you. You were on Patrick McEnroe's podcast this week. How did that go?
2: It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah. So Patrick McEnroe, uh, for those who don't know, uh, former U.S. Davis Cup captain, tennis player in his own right, but uh, not not didn't uh, reach the same heights uh, as his brother John. But he's a, an ESPN commentator, has a, a, a podcast about tennis called Holding Court. And he just reached out to me on Twitter, actually, uh, and uh, we talked about uh, tennis and Pung Shui and China and, and everything in between. Had a really, really had an engaging conversation, and and he knew a lot of a lot of the topics. Uh, so asked some some really interesting que- uh, interesting questions, and uh, and it was great to great to be on the show. Yeah.
1: So so besides that, you you went to an actual live soccer match. I
2: did, I did. Hike. It was uh, it was a little bit different. It was in a fifty five thousand capacity stadium. Um, It's the biggest... uh, I'm in Taiwan right now. I'm actually in Kaohsiung in the south. Uh, This was a stadium that was built for the 2009 World Games, which is a big multi-sport competition, sort of uh, lower level, sort of like the sub-Olympics, if you will. But it's an awesome stadium this was actually it was a women's soccer game um, check out the name of this league the Taiwan Mulan Football League Mulan obviously the uh, the, the the female heroine. so that's the name of the uh, TMFL is the name of that league and there are six teams and uh, actually my, my uh, kids soccer coach uh, plays on the team they actually have two two of their teachers uh, one of them has played for the uh, for the Taiwanese national team in the past so they're pretty good I was very impressed by the standard Um weren't a lot of fans uh we were probably maybe into triple figures maybe uh so it was uh it's pretty empty in a in a fifty five thousand capacity stadium but it was uh yeah it was hey it was good wow. to uh you know they they had they had like uh the cameras they had at least four broadcast cameras that i could see uh streaming the game and uh all the match officials and and the flags and everything and and some fans if not too many uh but yeah it was uh, it was fun to go to
1: Yeah, just a reminder that even outside of China, COVID is still a thing and people aren't really going out.
2: 85,000 daily cases in Taiwan right now and we've still got these games going on.
1: So closer to home, Tencent Sport is laying off 100 people. That's about a third of its staff it's a tech story, but it's also a sports story. So, what is a sports angle?
2: Well, there's just no content for them to 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 be producing. Um, you know, if you're taking content from overseas and replaying it, then you don't need a whole lot of people to do that. But if you're producing new stuff, there's no sport going on in China to do that. So, unfortunately, I mean, this is this is a desperately depressing story. But you know, you had to say it was coming uh, because. How long are they? How long are they able to to keep people on? Uh, wh- what I will say is that, um, as I understand it, the NBA, which is probably their well, e- easily their their premium product right now, that actually runs through their video division. So uh, this has been unaffected by the the layoffs in the in the sports. It's just kind of internal reorganization. But uh, yeah, in terms of new content creation and and so on, there's obviously not a lot going on um and they will still be you know uh broadcasting some some of those other uh, you know overseas uh, overseas leagues and, and and games
1: and the premier league and the other european leagues just 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 ended this week right um and i was just sort of thinking uh, if the Sixers, if the Philadelphia Sixers had made it to the, to the semifinals or the finals of the NBA, they wouldn't even be able to uh, to air those game, those matches. So that would have been like a double whammy there.
2: Just anecdotally on 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 the last weekend of sport, yeah, with the Premier League and, and Serie A, um, AC Milan winning, uh, they've got a lot of fans in China. Uh, the Serie A was on CCTV back in the eighties, so a whole generation of people kind of grew up with that and and have still have some loyalties to the teams. I saw a lot of people actually post about, you know, staying up to watch these games and, you know, a few kind of wry comments about basically like, look at all these fans and packed stadiums and, you know, crowds celebrating on the field afterwards and, and you know, wouldn't it be great if dot, dot, dot. Uh, but uh, obviously, the reality here is is uh, is very different.
1: It's pretty different. Uh, I don't know if you saw the Pony Ma post on on WeChat. Pony Ma is one of the founders of Tencent, it's a big mil- billionaire, uh, and according to Bloomberg, he reposted an article about uh, COVID zero, uh, which called out economists, academics, and even average internet users for dismissing the economic impact of Beijing's harsh COVID measures. So a lot of people are feeling it. Um, you know, I don't even know what I would call this. People are, are not happy about it, and they're not shy about, about, about saying so, and people are suffering.
2: I think it's significant coming from Pony Ma. He's one of the most understated, low-key uh, uh, billionaires in China. Um, he's a massively... You know, famous name. at Tencent is is obviously one of the top companies. But compared to to Jack Ma, for example, he's at the other end of the scale in terms of uh, public persona. You don't see him talk. So for him to post something like this, um, it 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 is, I think, significant. I mean, the economy, according to according to to, to some aspects, it's it's basically in meltdown because there's only one priority right now, and that's COVID zero. So it doesn't really matter how bad the economy is, nothing is changing. Uh, we're not seeing a whole lot of signs of, of, of that changing anytime soon either. So, you know, be, some people can take a more positive spin, others take a more negative spin. But I, I feel like the real pain is, is, is yet to hit. And that's, um, that's, that's going to be tough.
1: It is hard to overstate how bleak it is right now. Uh, So we know that at least one CSL team is making it into the bubble. So there's going to be maybe a CSL league of some sort after all. Uh, Marwan Fellaini, who's a star of Shandong Taishan, he posted a photo of his team heading somewhere on a bus. Um, and it looks like they're going to start playing sometime soon. But one team that isn't going to be there is Chongqing, Liangjiang Athletic. They're in debt. They can't play their players. Uh, and, you know, players just said they haven't been paid. And, and some have been taking jobs as, as delivery drivers to make ends meet. And this is a team that almost signed Iniesta just four years ago. This is crazy.
2: Yeah, it is insane. Uh, you know, uh, people actually... Uh, you... <sighs> Like you said, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to overstate this, like, a, a, effectively a Premier League team here, a Chinese Super League team going bankrupt just days before the start of the season. And, and this is not unexpected, but it's wild to think of this happening. I mean, we had just, just recently, you know, a, a year or two ago, the, the champions, Jiangsu Suning going bankrupt, out of business, fully out of business, four months after winning the title. It's absolutely insane. Um these are teams with you know not not a hundred years of history but significant history. Chongqing has sort of bounced around financial problems and and they've had some issues over the years but going bankrupt is is you know I just look at look at overseas sometimes they they default and they kind of might get uh demoted and so on but but to have it happen so late on it's it's desperately depressing. I think there's no other word for it um what I will say is that, you know, the rest of the teams. Th- there will be a CSL this this year. I have uh, no doubt about that. But I am hearing from behind the scenes a lot of players, particularly the foreign players who have come back to China, are very unhappy about it because, you know, you can imagine a lot of them probably aren't getting payments or, or either on time or in full. And they're kind of thinking, well, what leverage do I have once I go into the bubble? I basically can't leave. And what happens if they don't pay me when I'm in there? What's going to happen then now there have been some cases where um you know Shanghai Shenhua, for example, right now has a transfer ban because they were taken to court uh, sort of the, there's an international football body that that sort of deals with this and and actually they've stepped up in a few years and managed to sort of put some leverage on on through the CFA on some of the the Chinese teams so there are some there are you know some some recourse that the players have, but you know you can imagine a lot of these players sort of leave without getting paid we've heard story after story of that in the past um and it's uh, again it's frustrating uh and the the only real solution that you see happening is is that all the foreign players uh uh leave and and uh, and try and play the game somewhere else and then you know we've got chinese players taking jobs as delivery drivers i mean that's just that's just nuts
1: so one thing you're you're learning here is that just because you have a contract doesn't mean you're gonna get paid.
2: I mean there is that sort of truism about China that, you know, signing a contract is the first step in a in a negotiation. Um it, it's obviously meant as a little bit of a joke, but I think there is some there is some truth to that. And and anyone who's who's you know worked a number of jobs over a number of years, particularly sort of jobs on the fringes, you know, that not, not the, the more um formal employment contracts, but I mean I've lost count of the number of, of people in sports or elsewhere who sort of you know haven't been paid in full for for this or that uh it's it's one of the uh the challenges I say I would say to to, to, to go with the opportunities
1: okay Mark, let's move on to something a little bit less bleak. Money Forbes magazine just released its list of the world's richest athletes. who is not on it?
2: Well, if you look at the top of the list, you know it's the usual suspects. You have got Messi, LeBron James, Cristiano Ronaldo, Neymar, um, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Roger Federer, and so on. You know, there's there's uh, uh, Alvarez in boxing. He's number eight. Tom Brady nine. Um, you know, these are people who are their total earnings. You know, Messi number one, 130 million US dollars, and it's a, a composite of off-field earnings and on-the-field earnings. So basically, what you get for for playing your sport and your endorsements as well. Now, if we go down to the bottom of the list, number 50 in the Forbes Rich List, um, TJ Watt from uh, NFL has a total of $37.6 million. Now, I don't know if you remember, but uh, before the Olympics, the estimates coming out for Eileen Gu's earnings from mostly sponsorship, almost entirely sponsorship, she's not earning a whole lot from winning uh, freestyle skiing competitions, were 35 million US dollars. Now, this uh, Forbes list is correct. It says to May 2022. So they, uh, they've they basically updated it. And uh, Eileen Gu's earnings were estimated before the Olympics even started, she, caught, she won, of course, two gold medals and a silver. She's basically spent the last three months in China just doing uh, filming for commercials and signing new sponsorship deals. Again, the the accurate figures are very, very hard to get. Uh, and I imagine the, the Forbes team based in the US probably weren't able to kind of dig into a lot of the uh, the Chinese contracts, uh, many of which, are, of course, aren't public. And two thirds, probably at least two thirds of her Uh, Earnings are from Chinese brands, not from uh, uh, rather than international brands. But, you know, if we kind of go with that 35 million figure that was floated beforehand, which people seemed to accept, she's clearly way past 37.6 million today, May 2022. So, by my reckoning, she should be somewhere on the list.
1: Do you think there are other Chinese athletes who could be on the list if it was a bit easier to get those numbers? Like Su Bing Tian, for example. I mean, he's he's everywhere.
2: He is, but he just doesn't have the same number of brands. I mean... Eileen Gu is ubiquitous in terms of the fashion labels, and they, they you know, she can charge a lot of money. Uh, the profile that she has right now, no one else really compares. Uh, There'll be other athletes in other sports that could be earning a lot more money, uh, but no one really is is kind of global in the same way, as in the way that, you know, Lina is someone who has been around the fringes of, of this list in the past, but obviously she's been long retired. It was interesting to see that when they when they split it down by gender, they picked out the women's uh, women's tennis because, uh, you know, Osaka, Serena Williams, uh, again, going back, Sharapova, Lina, those are people who've had huge uh, endorsement uh, earnings. And so they said, we don't know who the next person is going to be, but we're very confident it's going to come from women's tennis, uh, the next female athlete. And I'm like, uh, again, Eileen Goo. <laughs> I think uh, she's uh, she's next up on that list uh, from what I can tell. Uh, but uh, that seems to have sort of uh, flown under the Forbes uh, radar to some extent.
1: We're gonna do something a little bit different here. This week, China published a piece called Ultimate Frisbee is Soaring in China as a Fashion Fad, which I wrote. Uh, It's about how Ultimate Disc has been chugging along in China, uh, but remained a niche sport, even while it's been making some inroads as a professional sport in North America. But all of a sudden, the game caught on in a huge way, and a lot of that has to do with these influencers uh, who post these very suggestive photos. And we're going to talk about that later on uh, of themselves with frisbees on on little red book, Xiaohongshu, which is a, a social media app. We have two people joining us who are going to talk about it. And both of them are in Beijing. Anthony Tao is the managing editor of Sub China News. He also used to captain Big Brother, uh, one of China's best ultimate teams. And Zoe Tang is a co-captain of Big Brother. Welcome to you both. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Anthony, I want to start with you. Uh, and this is amazing because you don't normally get to interview your, your editors. Uh, so this is kind of a first for me. So let's see how this goes. Um, you've been around Ultimate a really long time in China, but you were a little bit wary about doing a piece about Ultimate. And it took a little bit of con- convincing. What, why were you suspicious about doing a piece about Ultimate?
3: because for as long as i can remember uh as long as my journalism career goes i've been trying to get ultimate coverage i remember um i remember being an intern at sports illustrated way way back and trying to pitch ultimate to uh to the editors there and this was gosh this was uh 2000 i want to say 5 and i, I I remember uh, after basically writing a feature about it, I think they pitied, took some pity on me and ended up letting me do like 50 words about the speech tournament in Chicago. Uh, the thing is, I I am always suspicious when people come to me with this thing that they love, uh, much as I did back in the day, and say, this is newsworthy. I wasn't quite sure. Uh, you know, just playing Ultimate in China since uh, 2008, um, I've sort of seen the sports growth, but I've been very skeptical about uh, about when I hear numbers uh, about how it's soaring in popularity, et cetera, et cetera. Because I haven't seen it. Um, then again, I need to say I sort of semi-retired last year, so I haven't really been on the scene at pickup like Zoe has, et cetera, uh, like you, Haig, uh, being in the pickup scene recently, the the ultimate pickup scene, and seeing all these new players. So I wasn't quite sure. Uh, about the the fad that that Xiao Hong has sort of kicked off, but um uh I'm, I'm happy that we were able to develop the story that you told me more about it and ended up convincing me to commission this
2: Anthony um I just want to pick up on a couple of things you said that um I love the fact that you said that you um semi retired uh, from your basically semi-professional status as an yeah. ultimate athlete. So I just, just wanted to give a shout out to that. Uh, secondly, what I'm hearing is, is this kind of like, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is it's kind of like, you know, you discover an indie band and you love these guys and this is kind of your thing. But as soon as it gets too big, you're like, oh, I don't like it anymore. I only liked it when it was small. That's kind of what, 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 I, what, what came to my mind when I heard you say this, you know, well, I've been here since the beginning um, and you know, I'm sort of skeptical But like, why not embrace extra coverage? Like growth of the sport? Like, is, is that an unfair take?
3: Well, I just, I actually, I just wasn't sure. Um, I wasn't sure that the sport was in fact exploding in the way that it is. Uh, I, I guess I could say, I just didn't know about it. Uh, and Hague was one that sort of alerted me to this, to this trend. Um, that happened that really began very recently. Um, we're talking about in the span of the last, what would you say, hey, last half year, it went from this niche activity uh, into something that has been getting mainstream attention in Chinese media. When whenever whenever something, an activity or a news piece, uh, a trend, anything trends on Chinese media, then we're talking about something that deserves coverage in English media.
0: Yeah, I just want to ask Tao, do you re- uh, do you know lately? The NBA Tencent channel has covered on being the, the Ultimate, a little bit when they are doing a I don't know what they call break, so or advertisement. So basically, Ultimate is in NBA China,
3: and that was very recently as well,
2: right? Yeah. So to so to be clear, this is not replacing the uh, the games that they uh, weren't able to show. This is ads during the breaks of the games. That's like huge coverage for the sport here. Yeah, I mean, it's basically as, you know, certainly for online streaming, there's nothing that's going to be getting bigger numbers than, than, than NBA games on Tencent, right? Basically.
0: Uh, it's also a big game. It's, right now they are doing what, West uh, Final or Semi-Final.
3: Yeah, the conference finals.
1: Zoe, so that's a good question, though, for you. So when did you start noticing all of these new players and all of this new sort of media uh, surrounding Ultimate in, in in Beijing?
0: I think it start maybe last winter, where it's kind mm-hmm. of half a lockdown policy, but somehow, like, somebody starts saying, hey, look at this Xiao Hong Shu, and everybody posts about Frisbee. Then we go on to look at the Xiao Hong Shu. We were like... Wait a minute, this is not the frisbee we play. They dress so pretty and we were like, I, I don't know, we are like countryside person and when we play frisbee. So, uh, yeah, so I I went on to take a look and I know nobody in Xiao Hongshu.
1: We have to talk about these photos because one of the hardest parts of writing that piece actually was trying to describe these photos. Um, and it's, and it's hard because I don't want to like, I'm not the fashion police. I don't want to like, you know, to say, Oh, this is good. This is bad or whatever, but can you try to just, dis- okay. Let's, some of these photos? let's do like, an what, experiment. What do look like?
2: I haven't seen the photos. So you guys will try to explain and then I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll see <laughs> once I see how good a job you
1: did. <laughs> okay we can but I can just say like the best way to s- see it is that to actually see it and check out subchina.com and check out the uh the article Anthony how would you describe these these photos
3: uh <laughs> there are there's a lot of skin there are a lot of uh <laughs> lot very of tight tights um on un- uh, clothes that don't fit feel like they belong on a field of, for sports. I, there was a, there was a quote in the article that, uh, we ended up cutting, uh, from, from, uh, a Frisbee player in Shanghai, a competitive player. And, uh, he says, uh, I think he describes it pretty well, um, where he says, in the span of one year, Frisbee highlight videos turned from displays of athletic performance to hot chicks in yoga pants. There, there are a lot of um, let me let, let's let's call it uh, postures, poses that make a frisbee player like yeah. me grimace because <laughs> I see it and it's and I just know there's no way that disc is flying where they want it to. <laughs> <laughs> Zoe, do you agree? I mean, what, what's your perspective
2: on this?
0: Um, as a woman, you like if I saw those photos, they have a lot of makeup where. Like we will probably never do because it's uncomfortable. you'll probably mess up with uh your makeup in ten minutes, but a lot of girls they wear makeup and in the photo it keep that way or like all the section, so that's amazing
2: so are these are these people like are they just posing, getting a shot, posting it, and then they're out of there like are they actually doing any of the exercise like It seems to me a sort of a cross section between this sort of social fitness trend that we've seen over the last few years with people going for runs and then they post the map of, you know, I've done five or six kilometers and and here's my time and all that sort of stuff. But they've actually done the run, you know, whatever speed, but they've actually done it. Like, are these people actually playing or maybe they don't even intersect with with your games?
0: I think that mostly they go this way. So somebody organizes it. They come, they do all the stuff. But there is like a photograph section in maybe last 15 minutes or last 20 minutes. That you can do the post. So they're actually playing.
2: But, but what about the makeup? They have to redo the makeup? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <know> how they-
2: <laughs> or they just run very slowly at the start. Yeah. Keep it, keep it fresh.
1: There's different games going on at the same time, right? So I've been to uh, Dongfang Park, which is actually just next door to my house on, you know, random Thursdays, where this is this is the day where they usually have these pickup games, right? Uh, and mostly they're beginners. And there's something like five fields of, of Ultimate going on at, at a time. And the first time I was there, there were hundreds and hundreds of people there. Now, I played with a, a, a team called Petfly 2.0 uh, by, by this really lovely guy called Alex. Uh, and he pointed to the field next to me. And he said, look, you know, do you see the, those players over there they are brand new to the sport they have never held a disc in their lives and there is the photographer next to them taking photos of them and it's all for uh Xiao Hangshu so You know, I think, I think you get a mix. I think you get some people who are purely in it just to, you know, just because it's a fashionable sport and they want to take part in something fashionable. Uh, And there are some people who think, oh, well, this is kind of fun. And they, 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 they stick around possibly for another, you know, few, few sessions. And, you know, maybe the hope is, I guess, some people stick around and, and really become ultimate players like, like us, you know.
2: Are most of the people posting photos are they already established as influencers as KOLs, or are they trying to kind of break through through this new trend, or a bit of both?
0: I wish I could answer you, but I don't. <laughs>
1: <that>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, so you, you actually told me something. I, I didn't actually use it in the piece, but, uh, you know, when I interviewed you for the piece, you told me that Xiao Hongxiu had actually gotten in touch with you uh, and your team previously. Uh, what what do they want to know from you? So
0: I, I don't know. Maybe start with the March list here and they create this group and they add all the, I will say, team captains or the organizers. And they were like, here, we are here to help you to promote Frisbee. So what you need to do is in, you send us the logo and we will do the we will create a poster for you to post later. Then also you show me I think you have to fill out the form. They will help you promote this link to the relative person. Um basically that's it. So they have this session, and they have this group of people like every two weeks tell you to do the promotion.
3: That's that's one of the most interesting aspects of this story, I think, is how many brands and uh, and the app itself, you know, little red books are We've been we've been mentioning it a lot, but I, I don't know if we actually properly ID'd it. It's kind of like the um uh like uh it's a it's a lifestyle app. It's kind of like the Instagram of China, right? Uh with more of a social aspect to it. But um I, I've I've just been amazed by how much that app has been actively involved in this that they've identified Frisbee as this thing that they can use to to promote this fashion, this fad. Um, you take it to the U.S. and you tell people, you tell Ultimate players there that this is happening. And um, I, I think people would be shocked because uh, Frisbee, as we all, as you guys probably know, Ultimate has very counter-cultural roots. And in the U.S. now they've gone away from that, but in the, in a, completely 90 degree direction from where it's going in China, where they're trying to make it more legitimate, more like a very competitive sport.
2: So that kind of leads to an obvious question. Like of all the things that could have exploded on Xiaohongshu, like why, why ultimate? Why has this, you know, there's going to be lots of people trying to, trying to find like niche brands, niche sports, niche trends, uh, and sort of, you know, be the next leader. Why do you think this has broken through?
0: Um for me I feel like frisbee itself is really a low skill for a new player if you never play a sport before you come here and we teach you how to throw and this is just very easy to accept and I don't know if it is a factor. I mean, I, I feel like this is one of the, the quality of the Frisbee.
3: Um, you know, Wang Bin, who uh, Zoe, you mentioned earlier, Wang Bin, who's been playing Ultimate um, since, uh, I think he started in 2006 um, here in Beijing, and he's been playing competitively ever since. Uh, one, one of the things that he said was that the underlying factor to all of this is that Frisbee is such a graceful and amazing game. Uh, actually he said ultimate was he said Feipan, and sort of in you know in China Fei can be used interchangeably between frisbee uh or ultimate uh but I'm pretty sure in this context he meant ultimate as the sport was so fun to play, and therefore people um are attracted to it but sort of as Zoe mentioned too, you know yeah the um um the threshold is low for people to get started. you only need a disc right and it's it's a non contact sport uh so it's relatively Uh, less stressful, I suppose, uh, a little bit safer.
0: Yeah, by the way, I forgot to mention the social aspect of the frisbee. You play boys and girls in the same field, seven on seven. It could be four girls, three guys, or four guys, or even more. So you are at the same field, so you feel really connected
1: now when we talked you were talking about how you know when you play with a lot of the newcomers it can actually be kind of dangerous <laughs> and you don't feel that safe like what what why, why is that
0: you mean when i play the newcomers because they don't know the game and they don't know where to go and if i play full speed i will easily get tripped by them or have contact with them because i can i i don't know where they are going that's
2: basically what i want to say right no the the um i think the social aspect of it is fascinating like like when i first came to china i was sort of surprised i think about you know talking to talking to to 20 somethings just about like well how do you date how do you how do you find people like in in the west you know maybe maybe this is more of an english thing but you know people go out and they drink and 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 one thing leads to another and and you know there's, there's, there's few dating stories that don't involve alcohol. You know, I think that's just, just reality. Whereas here, you know, people are like, Oh, well, I just kind of stay home. Friends are friends. And, and, and like, it's partly culture it's partly financial as well, but this is, this obviously is basically free to play. I suppose you've got to rent the pitch, but you don't have to, you can play in a park. I've always, whenever I've played it, obviously extremely low levels, it's just been on a patch of grass. It hasn't been on like any kind of formal area or on the beach or something like that. So apart from the cost of the disc, um, it's, it's very easy to do. And, and I think you make a great point about the social aspect of, it's a great way for boys and girls to, to hang out and have fun.
3: Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but you know, uh, frisbee couples are, are a thing that's, um, uh, Zoe, like you and I, we know plenty of people that met through frisbee ended up getting married. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder like how many new frisbee couples are going to come out of this recent, uh, fad.
2: Haig, I feel like we've stumbled onto part two of your series here.
1: I'm telling Ooh. you, I'm trying to pitch it as a series, honestly. This could be a weekly column, Anthony. Come on. Um, <laughs> but Zoe, it's, it's not free, though, is it? Like, I mean, there's a lot of these clubs uh, charge money for people to play. Um, and, and you made the point as well when we were talking that it, it's become a lot more expensive. Uh, these, these clubs are charging even more to, uh, to play, right?
0: Yeah, it used to be... Like, if you go to pick up 50 koi for a pickup, now it's at least 100 to 150. Because, I don't know. I think a lot of them have coaches now and have photographer, which is important. Um, also, I think you have to pay for the page and everything. So, yeah, they add into the cost.
3: Is that higher price something that's offered to people that want photographs? Like, what, what if you want... What if you're going just for uh, for the frisbee itself? Um, do they also have to pay yeah. triple the amount? Yeah. Okay. Well, I I mean I I heard this from one of my contacts in uh, Shenzhen who plays Ultimate. Uh, we were talking about the story, and he was saying something similar that that um, the rise of Ultimate uh, Ultimate's popularity has uh, actually divided kind of split the competitive scene. Um, some of their players are now being asked. To lead these other teams, these more um i guess you you could say more social clubs as opposed to competitive clubs um and also yeah the the increase of um in in the cost um this whole the, the way that supply and demand factors in that's had in my opinion a pretty negative impact on the game, so it's not quite you know going back mark to your like analogy about indie bands um it's not quite like that. Unless you're saying like my indie band that I love now charges tickets that are three times what it, what it used to be. It, seem,
2: it seems to me that it's kind of coming at it from a very different angle. So where I am right now, there's a local surf club and it's very low key. And I've taken my kids there a couple of times and they have a good time. And and actually they, they have this old dude who's just sort of like an amateur photographer and he takes pictures of people surfing. So like you stand up on the board once, there's a good chance you're going to get it no cost. It doesn't charge you a thing. They post it on Instagram and and everyone loves the photos and and people like, it's a cool thing to do and they embrace it, but they, they do it because of the surfing. What I'm hearing from you guys, from some of these people is they go there starting with the whole photographer. Like I'm going to bring my makeup person and my, like, they kind of like, you see those people who go out and do the wedding photos. I'm imagining like, kind of like, you got the, you got the hair and the makeup and the photographer and it's like, Let's get all those people like in a row and then, okay, where's the disc? Oh, I forgot to bring it, you know, (laughs) like get me my photos first. And it starts with this kind of photo business. Now, you know, obviously that's at the extreme end, but it, it does seem a little bit backwards from a, certainly from a sporting perspective.
3: It's a good point. That yeah, I think you've summarized the critique of of uh, of this um, this development. Let me just jump in
2: with one other thing. The um, another thing that kind of reminded um, I, I've done quite a lot of motorsports here here in China and. To promote the series, they've they've had uh, famous drivers or famous amateur drivers. So it's, uh, we've had pop stars here and there, people like Han Han, who's, who's pretty well known, and they've come into you know these Audi and Porsche series and so on to basically try to take it to a whole new brand new audience. Um, that's worked to a certain extent. Uh, it sounds kind of like what what you guys are saying also in terms of recruiting the the big the biggest KOLs and kind of moving them up into the kind of the uh, professional teams where from a from an athletic perspective they're not really able to do that but you know it doesn't really matter we all play along and 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 look hopefully it can grow the sport i'm i'm all for for more people being more active in more ways and and people getting out there whether it's whether it's just a little bit of this and 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 something else but if it helps to promote more people being active i think that's a good thing
0: yeah i i think i didn't mention this in Xiaohongshu, basically, they create a hashtag for Frisbee. So it's "快乐都是飞盘给的," which it means happiness is brought by Frisbee, or you say Frisbee bring all the joys. I think this is a very positive hashtag or angle. So I like that about uh, Xiaohongshu is doing this promotion.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I, I don't want to come off like some ultimate elitist where I say, you know, unless you're pointing in a certain way, then it's not right or whatever. Um, yeah, I think it's t- too late for that. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you cut out, you know, this part. What I'm going to say next, but um, no, I think um, I think I think the more exposure the sport gets, uh, the hope is that maybe some of these people who come because they saw it on an app uh, will end up loving it and then uh who knows where they might take the sport from here you know there's this guy in shanghai um named uh kuba i actually don't know the the chinese pronunciation of kuba uh, but zoe do you know him Yeah Dong is his chinese name but he's been working you know he's a professional photographer but he's been working to promote the sport in his own way for um 10 years give or take and um he has taken the opportunity recently uh with this you know this massive spike in popularity, to bring uh, brands, big brands, to the competitive aspect of the game. So he's tried to put on show matches uh, with players down in Shanghai. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I think the sport can develop in multiple directions uh, at the same time.
1: So I guess the only point that I would make is, is as long as these new players are willing to learn and want to learn how to play the game, right, or play the game in the, in the, in the right way... I mean Zoe, you, you're the one that has the most experience with, with training a lot of these new players. What have those experiences been like? Is there, is there this willingness to learn and I think the first is like,
0: those people need to willing to consistently join the practice. I think that's the first step, and you will see people uh, grow out of couple practice. Some people maybe come for one time, then drop up, then that's not our target audience. Um, I think for, uh, like for us as a club team, we are looking at this opportunity to see if we could get anything from this big wave. So, like, if anybody who really enjoys the sport or who can be the next generation athletes, then we want to take them and to train them to join our club for our future.
1: When I was at Dongfeng Park, I was, you know, when I was playing with the team, I was trying to run some drills as well. And, you know, one of the drills I was running was just this very simple cutting drill. You throw the disc, uh, somebody cuts and you go around. It just wasn't working. What have been the specific challenges that you've had in terms of training new newcomers?
0: Yeah. So my thing is I'm always focused on the women's. So I don't know if you guys know, like uh, Ultimate has like single season. Which is um, we split the team, doesn't play mix anymore. we play single gender. So um, throughout the single gender, I feel like I have improved a lot from the single gender, so that's why I commit myself to uh, improve this single gender games. Um, but for the, a lot of girls, especially in China, they never play sport before. They probably don't know how to run. They probably don't know how to cutting. You say cutting is easy. Then for them, they will ask you, what's cutting? And what do you mean cut sharp? Oh, so I have to teach really, really basic fundamental how to spring, how to, um, how to do the footwork and how to catch this. You won't hurt yourself.
1: But, but at the same time, it's tremendously exciting that all these, you know, that women are being attracted to sport for the first time in some cases. Yeah.
0: I think that's the big part. I really like this big wave because uh, other in other sports you won't see so many women um, participate or join the sports as frisbee does.
2: So, like, how big do we think this is going to get? Like, are there corporate opportunities? Are going to see sponsorships and, and and also like what is that? What is the structure? Is it kind of like a like a league within Beijing within within China? You know, like how formal? is the sport right now? And how more formal do you think it, it's going to become with this with this growth?
0: It's really, really difficult to say because no matter... I, I think any kind of improvement need a lot of manpower organization to involve to make it formal. So right now people are making money. That's why they are like open the market for it. But nobody is doing that for being... For it to be informal, you know what I mean. So um, I don't know. I don't even know. Like after the pandemic, if we can travel, the first like competitive uh, tournament gonna be because there are so many teams right now, and how it gonna run, soon.
3: I can speak a, to a little bit to the history of the competitive scene. Um, you know, when I first arrived in 2008, um, there were a few great teams and then everyone else we kind of sort of have to had to nurture along at that time by far the two most well-known teams were uh big brother uh which was in beijing and hua which is in Shanghai. and these two teams by the way still exist and are still very much rivals on the field uh but then through these very through these domestic competitions such as china nationals uh and um and just other tournaments that were hosted in places, second and third tier cities, like um, you know, Tianjin and Nanjing and Ningbo was a big hot spot back then, Wuhan. Uh, the sport uh, developed solely at first as a competition. Now, ever since COVID, a lot of those competitions, and there used to be more than a dozen in the calendar year, uh, have gone away so people are not practicing amongst their clubs as much and i think that kind of i think covid kind of opened the door for ultimate to become more of this recreational social activity also the uh the single gender format was is also a relatively new development Uh, i think um only happened about five years ago before that it was all co-ed but uh, but that's actually opened the door to a lot of participation, a lot more participation. I, you know, we talked about the social aspect of ultimate uh, being a you know co-ed thing, but but actually, I think a lot more women are now willing to try the sport because they're competing in the single gender division. Um, and I think I think I think this I think this fad. I think it's going it's, I think it's great recruitment for just more bodies. Uh, and 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 I think we're going to see some of them stay and and stay and and get, you know participate in tournaments when they, whenever they can happen again.
0: But Tao, like look at United States; they are much developed system than China. Do you think we will go through like regionals and then go through nationals like this kind of format introduced to frisbee? In the well, future?
3: the only reason the U.S. is able to do. Uh, uh, is, is able to have these uh, different strata of tournaments because there's so many players, uh, millions, in fact, millions that are registered through USA Ultimate, right? Uh, that's going to take a lot more time. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, uh, you know, every couple years, there's uh, there's something called Worlds that uh, that the World Flying Disc Federation, WIFDIF, uh organizes, and that, you know, um, happens in different cities. Uh, as recently as um, maybe six years ago, It was only one or two people in charge of putting the China team together uh, to go to these tournaments. I I was very lucky to be able to participate in a couple of them. But I think that is getting a little bit more formalized where um, people that we know, people like Marshall and Liang Zhuang, uh, these names that everyone in China Ultimate will know are trying to create an association or be a little bit more structured about how we go through this process of selecting people at. To, to represent China, essentially, at the highest level of ultimate in the world.
1: Anthony, you mentioned earlier about China not having those those that number of players that you can find in, in the United States and, and Canada and other places. One thing I heard, and I couldn't confirm myself, was that this federal education body had just approved ultimate to be one of the sports that, in, in Chinese schools, like that kids are taught. And if that's the case, then that you know that could be an interesting pipeline uh, down the road. I mean, you know, a decade or two down down the road,
3: definitely. And there are murmurs. Uh, there are murmurs, of course, of uh, ultimate being an Olympic show sport in the future. Of course, uh, those of us in the community have been working toward this, lobbying for it for it feels like a decade plus. Uh, yeah, obviously, obviously, people in China, like the sports bureaus, have heard these murmurings, and so you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if making ultimate a school sport is a direct response to that but um but obviously if that happens um if it if there is more momentum toward ultimate becoming an olympic going into the olympic it's going to explode here
2: i'm i'm going to make one prediction um i think the organization of this is going to become quite political um because there's going to be competing bodies there's going to be, you know, official bodies, there's going to be uh, municipal and and, and provincial and all these different things. They're all going to have different priorities. We've seen this in other sports, which is why I'm, you know, making this, you know, not particularly insightful prediction. But, you know, I I think you you guys have their teams, like, like actually, I want to ask, like, why Big Brother? Answer that in a sec. But, like, the fact that the the teams are still called things like Big Brother, um, not rather than, like, you know, the Beijing Dragons or, or something like that, like, like just even like that, There needs to be some level of, of, of a little bit more formality, which again, runs counter, I think, probably to the sport. But in terms of sport organization, you're going to run into some difficulties of being, well, you guys aren't serious because you your, your names are jokes and, and, and everything and all that sort of stuff, right? So... I, I, the gr- Let's start with the growth. That's the main thing. You need the people behind it. But I think, um, I think there's going to be some, some, some friction between all the multiple partners.
3: Yeah, Mark, uh, you saw what happened with ice hockey here uh, with rugby, uh, the sports that were non-existent in China uh, yeah. 20 years ago and now are at the level that they are. Yeah, I think, I, think you, um, I think you're right on with your prediction. Uh, big brother uh, in Chinese, da gua is a term of endearment. Uh, it's, it's a team that predates me by a few years. Um, we're talking about uh, real Beijing Ultimate OGs like Doc and Jim Kirchhoff, etc. Uh, Jason, these guys who, uh, who left China, unfortunately, you know, years and years ago. But um, what Orwellian... <laughs> um, <laughs> right, okay. I thought it might be. <laughs> double and contras, <entendres, laughs> I, I will not comment on. But, uh, got, in training, got it, got it. Okay,
2: a uh, term, inv- uh, term, uh, term of endearment. Let's, uh, let's go with that.
1: So, are we going to see promising young ultimate players be taken to you know to Ningbo or, or Shanghai at an early age and going to you know ultimate camps for four or five years until you know and come out as you know come out from a literal ultimate frisbee factory? Is that is that what's going to happen?
3: Hey, listen, it doesn't it doesn't take that long to learn the game. Mark, I know you don't play, but I can teach you beforehand in ten minutes. I was just thinking about that actually. My backhand's
2: pretty solid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm joking, but, uh, but yeah, Forehand needs some work.
1: Well, hopefully we can all play again very, very soon. A lot of the games right now in Beijing, even the pickup games, have just sort of ground to a halt. Let's wrap it up. Anthony Tao is an editor at Sup China, and Zoe Tang is, is a co-captain of the Big Brother Ultimate team right here in Beijing. Thank you guys so much for joining us.
0: Thank you.
3: Thanks, guys. Great to talk to you guys.
1: Thank you to Anthony Tao and Zoe Tang. If you have any questions or comments let us know we might even answer them on the show twitter is probably the best way to reach us thank you for listening we will see you next week